This is the EFCA Theology Podcast, built to help pastors and church leaders stay passionate about the gospel and faithful to the scriptures. Recently, Greg Strand, EFCA Director of Biblical Theology and Credentialing, was invited to give the Founders Day Lecture at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. On this episode of the podcast, we share his address on the history and heritage of the Evangelical Free Church of America and Trinity International University. It is a joy and privilege to be with you today delivering the Founders Day Lecture. I am humbled and honored to be invited to give this address. Thank you, President Dockery, for the invitation. I am truly grateful to the Lord for the honor of serving in the EFCA National Office and to partner with TIU, our free church school. This is the place where the Lord initially prepared and equipped me for such a ministry. The Lord used professors to form and shape me, and they are still being used in that way as we partner together in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the same vineyard for a similar purpose and the same goals. That the glory of God would cover the, cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Last year, Dr. Bradley Gunluck gave the initial Founders Day lecture and focused on the school. In this second lecture, as President Dockery pointed out, the focus shifts to our history, the free church history and heritage shared from our evangelical free church of America perspective, the founding denomination of the school. Here's what we will do this morning. First, I will say a brief word about history and its importance. I will address how we in the EFCA understand history and what sort of influence it ought to have for us in the present as we seek to be faithful to the Lord today and into the future. Second, we will provide a brief overview of our history as those committed to the authority of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are part of a much longer and broader evangelical stream than our beginning, or even what some would claim to be the beginning of evangelicalism in the 18th and 19th centuries. I do this for the purpose of situating the EFCA. Finally, I will conclude with a look at our history and heritage as the Evangelical Free Church of America, the values that have shaped us. Through these values, we will look at our history and heritage thematically, And through this, we will understand a bit better the intimate relationship between our EFCA history and values and TIU. We will also meet a few free church people remembered on campus who embody these values prompted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, then, a brief word about history. Listen to these words of David in Psalm 145, noted as a psalm I'm sorry, a song of praise. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. 
on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Notice, friends, what David writes in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Commend conveys more than just recounting events or restating doctrine. It recounts God's work and God's ways, but does so from a posture of belief, having experienced the truth of God personally. This is why it goes beyond a retelling to a commending, a telling of God's faithfulness with an exhortation, a plea for one to know, believe, and trust so that one can experience similar truths from the same Lord. In other words, one generation recounts or gives testimony to the benefits of trusting the Lord and then commends or entreats the next generation to trust him as well. This is part of the reason why we recount what God has done. Now granted, this psalm is canonical, so what I will be doing is quite different from what these texts mean. However, even though Christ's earthly work is accomplished, which means the gospel is good news, good news we proclaim, God's redemptive work goes forth as it moves toward culmination. So there is an important recounting of all that the Lord continues to do. Since the Lord is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and everything in between, God's providence in creation and redemption is both general and particular. Of this we can be certain. Being able to discern with absolute clarity God's particular providence is not possible. But friends, that does not mean we cannot humbly point to works that are God's works. Although we see in a mere dimly, we see something of the work of God and give thanks and praise to him. Second, it's important to situate ourselves by looking at our longer and broader history. During our five-year process of revising our statement of faith from 2003 to 2008, it was critical to situate our present discussion by discerning our past. This message of our history was given at every one of our 18 districts. When we considered our history and the influence of history, we go back further than 1950, the time of the merger between the two denominations, the Norwegian-Danish Free Church Association and the Evangelical Free Church of America, Swedish, We even go further back than 1884, the year we looked to our beginning in Boone, Iowa. We go back to the Bible. Furthermore, this connection is important since it reflects we are not a sect of the church, but at the center of a gospel-created, gospel-proclaiming church. The EFCA stands firmly within that evangelical tradition. And our understanding of the biblical gospel is informed by historic evangelical theology. Here is what that means. As evangelicals, we are committed to the Bible as the touchstone of truth. This is the heart of the Christian church, evangelicalism, and the EFCA. This strongly affirms the Bible's unique 
and unparalleled authority for all that we believe. Second, as evangelicals, we have been shaped by the Trinitarian and Christological creeds of the early church of the 4th and 5th centuries. And the language of those creeds would be found at a number of places in our statement of faith, be it the Norwegian-Danish of 1912, the Ministerial Association of the EFCA Swedish in 1947, the merger statement of 1950, and our present statement of 2008. Third, we have been shaped by the Reformation of the 16th century. Those reformers who were first called evangelicals before being called Protestants rediscovered the core of the gospel, that article on which the church stands or falls, which we call justification by faith alone. They brought back an emphasis on the Bible as the supreme witness to the gospel, and they gave renewed attention to all to the all-sufficiency of Christ's atoning death. They, and we in their wake, affirm the five solas, the, the alones, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and God's glory alone. Fourth, we have been shaped by the pietist movements in the 17th and 18th centuries, those who believed that the one thing necessary was to be born again. And that born-again experience resulted in a regenerated heart, not merely mental assent. Fifth, we've been shaped by the evangelical revivals of the 18th and 19th centuries. Those movements of God highlighted the necessity of the new birth and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and they laid stress on the need for a personal response of faith to the gospel resulting in a changed life. They were active in sharing the gospel in word and living the gospel in life. The power of God experienced in the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the power of God experienced in the gospel of Jesus Christ, resulted in personal transformation, which led to reform in all other areas of life. Sixth, as American evangelicals, we've been shaped by the modernist fundamentalist debates of the late 19th and early 20th century. Evangelicals battled theological liberalism and skepticism toward the Bible. And dispensational theology emerged and became popular in many evangelical circles. Finally, the modern evangelical movement in America took a turn at the midpoint of the 20th century when people like Carl F.H. Henry and Ken Concer, those who were major influencers in the evangelicalism more broadly and in the EFCA more particularly here, especially through TIU. When they called for fundamentalists to move away from separatism and cultural isolation, to become unified in an effort to impact the world with the gospel, this new movement was influential in shaping who we are as evangelicals, and more specifically, the EFCA today. It is important that we are aware of our place in this biblical evangelical tradition. That we are also conscious that we are not bound to our traditions, but must be continually reformed by the word of God. Finally, we focus on our EFCA history and heritage and the values that have shaped us with an introduction of a few EFCA people who have left a mark on the campus. 
Our history begins in the 19th century in the countries of Norway, Denmark, and Sweden. Our movement was birthed in revivals in these countries as the gospel was preached and God the Holy Spirit transformed lives. These new believers were part of the state church, which for many had become dead spiritually. Although they remained in the church, these believers began readers' groups where true believers would gather outside of the local church to read scripture together, to sing, and to pray. Immigrants came to America and settled in communities desiring not only church fellowship, but but also church autonomy. From this movement and these immigrants, the free church was born. One of the key individuals was Frederick Fronson, 1852-1908, who was a Swede. He immigrated to America with his family in 1869, settling in Nebraska. He was heavily influenced by Moody and his methods, serving with him in a number of his evangelistic campaigns. Franson was a gifted evangelist. Wherever he went, the Lord seemed to bless his ministry, be it here in the States or back in his homeland. On January 20th, 1881, Franson was ordained by the Free Church, uh, the Free Mission Church in Phelps Center, Nebraska. So Franson had his ordination in the Free Church. The Lord used him in significant ways in the beginning and imprinting of the Free Church. As noted, he was an evangelist, a church planter, a missionary. He planted churches in Denver and Nebraska. He helped establish free church associations in Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Germany. Additionally, he founded the Scandinavian Alliance Mission in 1891, today known as the Evangelical Alliance Mission, or TEAM. TEAM was the Norwegian-Danish free church mission agency from the beginning. Well, from Franson, which could be multiplied many times over, there are some key dates that I would like to give to you to kind of put as hooks to remember who the free church is. Some of these key dates. 1884, we marked the beginning of the free church where the Swedish free church met in Boone, Iowa, 1884. And they initiated work toward cooperation, support, of home missionaries and well as for, and as well as for in foreign missions and their commitment was to cooperate there is a global gospel partnership is what they wanted to do that was their commitment one of their initiatives stated that they were committed to believers only but all believers becomes one of the mottos of the free church 1884. 1885, they sent their first missionaries to Utah, Edvard Thorell and Ellen Modine. 1887, their first missionary was sent overseas to Canton, China, Hans J. von Qualen. 
He partnered with Chinese who had lived who lived here in Chicago who spoke the language. They traveled back to China and his Chinese believing friends could speak the Chinese language. God opened incredible doors. One of the projects that Hans J. von Qualen had was that he discovered there were 200,000 boat people, those people that lived in small boats. He then acquired a boat himself, 73 feet long. He called it the gospel boat. It was called the Morning Star. And from 1898 to 1910, he ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Morning Star. 1897, a decade later, we marked the beginning of Trinity, a 10-week Bible course held at Chicago's Oak Street Free Church with 22 students. 1912, the Norwegian-Danish Free Church Association incorporated and adopted a 12-point statement of faith. Twenty congregations partnered together. 1950 marked the merger of these two denominations, the Norwegian-Danish Free Association and the Evangelical Free Church of America, Swedish. They changed the name, taking Swedish out of the title in the 1930s. But that was 1950. And then 1961, something that Dr. Gunluck mentioned last year, was the present Trinity campus purchased with Ted's meeting here and the college joining in 1965. These are some key dates for us to to hang our hats. There are many more that, that happen subsequent, but these are some of the key early dates for us to bear in mind. Jumping back now to... Franzen and others like him. And through these years that we've just highlighted, here are some things we learn. What we see is a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The assurance that the gospel, faithfully preached, will lead to new birth. There was an expectancy that God would bless the work of his word. That new births would lead to the church. And that the church proclaims and lives the gospel. And that the church then sends people out in missions to the ends of the earth. These churches, moreover, were autonomous. And there was a gospel breadth in these partnerships. In essence, there was a commitment to partner with other like-minded and like-hearted evangelicals. That is, to major on the majors and to minor on the minors. That is who we are yet to this day. It's who Trinity remains to this day as well. Those who love Christ affirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're welcome. You're welcome. Partner with us. In the free church, we began to call this the significance of silence. It wasn't that you couldn't discuss things. It wasn't that you couldn't debate issues. You wouldn't divide over those issues. Those issues that were considered secondary of importance. We would debate and we would affirm the essentials and partner together. That's the EFCA. That's TIU. You know, as we look at our history and these values that have shaped the EFCA, 
An analogy of C.S. Lewis will help explain and describe who we are and these values. C.S. Lewis describes evangelicalism as a hall, the place where the essential truths of Christianity or mere Christianity are affirmed and embraced, where truth is celebrated by all those in the hall. But on the outskirts of the hall are rooms, the places where the people in the hall are to gather, to spend time together, to eat meals together, to live life together. The hall is not intended to be a destination, but an occasional gathering place. Life is lived and shared in the rooms. The rooms are the various denominations. There is an important place and purpose for the hall, or village green as some would say, where we can all gather But it is in the rooms where the fellowship and accountability and the teaching occur. Well, this would be the place where unique doctrinal and denominational distinctives are expressed. If the hall is the place that represents evangelicalism, the place where evangelicals gather, and if the rooms are the places where the denominations gather, the EFCA is unique in that we are between between the hall and the rooms. Uh, Maybe a hallway or maybe a room to the rooms. Although we are not identified as a denomination of the via media, those who ride the fence on most critical matters, because we focus on essentials of the gospel and we grant charity and liberty on the non-essentials. From the beginning to the present day, we intentionally and purposefully exist in the space between the large hall and the rooms. And we believe it is a strength because it reflects our professed and lived unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, my friends is one of the uniquenesses of the EFCA and TIU. Now, with this in mind, I've identified ten values that describe or explain our unique place between the hall and the rooms. Those values that are an expression of our belief and practice of the centrality and preeminence of the gospel, that gospel which creates the church, who in turn proclaims and lives that gospel, both here and to the ends of the earth. Now, I confess this is broad. I believe it captures, however, in broad strokes those values that have shaped us. Each of these ten values could be a message itself fleshed out with details. That, however, is for another time. I focus primarily on strengths. There could be weaknesses found in each of these as well, but I focus primarily on the strengths. First, a focus on the Bible. The Evangelical Free Church began as a reform movement in the state churches of Scandinavia, spawned by a renewed focus on the Bible. Through a network of small Bible studies called Reader's Revival, these believers developed a strong conviction about the centrality and authority of the Scriptures. Where stands it written, J.G. Prinsell would say. 
And that became the watchword for all of our faith and all of our practice. This also led to a concern for theological education demonstrated in the strength of of our EFCA schools and also, I believe, to an emphasis on biblical preaching, expository preaching, preaching the text of Scripture. Second, a movement of the Spirit. In the Scandinavia of the 19th century, though most people professed Christian faith, there was little evidence of spiritual rebirth and renewal. The revival movements there and in America gave our forebears a strong conviction that the truth of the Bible must change the heart by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. This led to an emphasis on prayer as an indispensable feature of the Christian life. For without the work of God's Spirit, our evangelism will be fruitless and our Christian lives will be barren. They proclaimed the gospel and expected God to bring new life through it. Third, a believer's church. Coming out of the spiritually stagnant churches that incorporated into their membership all who had been baptized, irrespective of their personal commitment to Christ, the early free church believers formed congregations of those who explicitly gave testimony to and showed evidence of personal conversion. It was important to them that every member be a believer, though those members might differ on some points of doctrine. Minor differences, they believed, ought not to divert them from their essential unity in Jesus Christ. For example, though most free churches practiced believers' baptism, they refused to make that form of baptism a requirement for church membership. The local church was to be composed, in their view, of believers only, but all believers This desire to major on the majors continues to form, inform, and shape us. Fourth, a priesthood of all believers. In its earliest days, the free church was largely a grassroots lay movement, and it resisted heavy clerical control of the the church and her ministries. Every member in the church was a minister. The ministry of women was also strongly encouraged. The priesthood of all believers is reflected in congregational church polity in which the highest authority under Christ is the collective will of the congregation. That is not a democracy, it is a Christocracy. Fifth, a kingdom-minded ministry. The EFCA was one of the early members of the National Association of Evangelicals in the 1940s. And it has been characterized by a willingness to join with other Christians in common goals and ministries to accomplish the great commandment and the great commission. Our concern is not to build a large human organization, but instead to help build the eternal kingdom of God. Six, the passion for the world. Within a few years of their association, as you learned in those key uh, historical points, The early evangelical free churches began planting churches and sending out their first overseas missionaries. This passion to reach the world with the gospel has continued, and our international mission now spans the globe. 
with the conviction that the gospel must be communicated in word and deed. The main task of creating a church planting movement among all people has been and continues to be complemented by ministries of compassion, such as providing emergency relief and the formation of hospitals, orphanages, and schools. Seven, a blessed hope. The late 19th century was marked by a resurgence of interest by evangelicals in the second coming of Christ. And the early free church leaders preached frequently on the theme of our Lord's imminent return, the establishment of his millennial kingdom and the final judgment. This blessed hope of Christ's return fueled an evangelistic urgency and encouraged Christ-like living in our churches. Eight, a commitment to train future generations. Although few of these early immigrant free church founders possessed, possessed formal education themselves, and some were skeptical of it, in the earliest years of their association, they founded schools. They believed that if their movement was to have lasting impact, its future leaders would have to be well-educated from the perspective of their biblical faith and values. The same commitment is currently manifest through the strength of the free church universities, whose alumni serve significantly as leaders in the marketplace and church, both nationally and internationally. Nine, a balanced approach to the Christian life. Our free church forebears wedded the 18th century pietism in Europe, emphasizing personal spiritual experience to a love for teaching of the Bible. They affirmed that sound biblical doctrine must be coupled with dynamic Christian living, combining the rational and the relational dimensions of our faith, and that all manifestations of the Holy Spirit must be governed by the teaching of the Scriptures. They passed on to us a conviction that the gospel gives us freedom, But that freedom comes with moral responsibility, allowing us to avoid the extremes both of legalism on the one hand and that of license on the other. And finally, an ethnic origin broadening to include all people. The EFCA began as an ethnic movement among Scandinavian immigrants. My grandmother came here at 16 years of age, not speaking any English at all. It soon broadened to include a more diverse group of northern European Americans, though through missions in Africa and Asia and South America, the Free Church had already established and embraced ministry across wider cultural and ethnic boundaries. In more recent years, a concerted effort has been initiated in this country to broaden that diversity to reflect the true mosaic of heaven in all its ethnic, racial, and cultural variety. With this effort has come a new awareness of the special needs of of ethnic groups, especially in our cities, and the imperative to address those needs, especially of the poor and the marginalized. Our mission is to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. 
Let me now take just a few minutes to introduce you to you some of our free church people here on campus. These people have been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and embody the values of the EFCA. This is only brief, with the hope that you will spend more time to get to know these dear people, the works God did in and through them to which I commend you. It's highly selective. It has to be. I list a few. Christian Thorsten Dearness. C.T. Dearness. You'll notice in the back to your left and uh, my left, your right, there is a C.T. Dearness gallery of the ATO chapel in the back. There's a little placard. Dearness experienced new birth in the state church in Norway. He came to America in 1884, graduated from the Chicago Theological Seminary in 1889. After graduating, he went to serve at Salem Evangelical Free in Chicago, where he pastored for more than 40 years. In 1891, he served on the board of directors of the Scandinavian Alliance Mission, along with Frederick Fronson. They, in a sense, co-founded Scandinavian Alliance Mission. In 1916... He founded the Lydia Children's Home in Chicago to help needy children. And he played an instrumental role during those years in the schools as well. C.T. Dearness. H.G. Rodin, the building behind us. The Rodin Global Ministries Building. Hugo completed his degree in 1914 at the Free Church Bible Institute. After graduation, he and Ruby, his wife, went as missionaries to South China. He gave oversight to Free Church Foreign Missions from 1946 to 1958, being elected as secretary in 1951, along with the beginning of A.T. Olson's presidency. He was the first one to, be, to, to, to serve in a full-time capacity in, in this mission realm in the Free Church. He served as a pastor of many free churches, and God blessed him with a spiritually rich family legacy. Hugo Rodin. Garrett Veenstra, the Veenstra wing of Peterson Academic Building. In 1929, the beginning of the Great Depression, Garrett and his wife lived in Racine, Wisconsin, with three young children. Being an entrepreneur in the Depression... He began a new business. The business was of wrecking, tearing down old buildings, and selling used lumber and materials. Well, eventually they added new building materials, and in 1932 opened a second location in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It was called Veenstra Lumber. Veenstra was a longtime member at the Free Church in Racine, Wisconsin, and taught Sunday school most of his adult life. Friends, for some, the faith at work is a new initiative. Not for those that affirm the priesthood of the believer, like Garrett Veenstra. Another is H. Wilbert Norton, the Norton Welcome Center. You've heard much about Will. He was ordained in the EFCA in 1940. Following his ordination, he and Colleen served as missionaries with the Free Church to the Belgian Congo where he eventually became founder and director of the Belgian Institute of the Ubangi. Upon returning to the States, he served as a professor of of missions at at Trinity College and Seminary 
the president of the school from 1957 to 1964. He's done much outside of the EFCA as well, but he's done much in the EFCA. Friends, you may not know this, but while he and Colleen were in the Belgian Congo, they buried one of their beloved children, their fourth son, Timothy Lamy. This is the kind of person that affirms the gospel and follows the Lord Jesus Christ. There are others. Let me share one other. Arnold T. Olson, A.T.O. Chapel. Arnold graduated from Trinity in Minneapolis in 1930. He was ordained in 1931. He first served a small free church in Houston, Minnesota, and a couple of others, and then went to Salem Free Church in Staten Island, New York. While serving there, he volunteered for the, to, to serve as a chaplain in the U.S. Army, where he served from 1943 to 1945. Upon completion of his chaplain duties, he returned to Staten Island. His next ministry was at the Free Church in Minneapolis, First Evangelical Free. During these years, 1942 to 1950, he also served as the president of the Norwegian-Danish Free Church Association. Arnold worked tirelessly on the merger of the two schools from 1946 or the the denominations from 1946 to 1950, and the schools from 1947 to 1950. He served as the president of the Free Church from 1951 until 1976. The Lord used Olson in many ways during those years, both big and small. That's the ATO chapel in which we sit. In fact, he, Will Norton, and Ken Conser were key people the Lord used to build and expand Trinity and strengthen the EFCA. Here are just stories of a few that have been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ and are serving him where he's placed them with all of their being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Friends, one generation shall commend your works to another. I commend the works of God to you. I conclude with a picture, a logo, which captures the essential heritage and heart of the EFCA. It not only reflects our history and heritage, but it also addresses our goals, our desires, our prayers for the future as we remain remain tethered to the text and grounded in the gospel. It is important to state that logos are temporary, are an attempt to state and picture form the essence of what one is. Our Trinity logo is a Bible with a Greek text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, entrusted with the gospel. You see, that makes good sense now when you hear about our history, doesn't it? They're juxtaposed one to another in the providence of God. It's not by chance. 
as you look at this logo, logos will come and go, but remember the essence, the truth of what it communicates of our history, of our heritage, and by God's grace, our future. Notice, the cross of Christ stands at the center of the gospel we believe and we preach. This speaks to the inerrancy and the authority of the Bible and the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice, secondly, our movement is connected to the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is a Christological statement. It's recognizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. But notice as well that that we are related one to another. That there's a vibrancy, there's there's a health, and, and notice that there's growth. Additionally, it's composed, this movement is composed of individuals and, 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 and churches of all shapes and all sizes and all hues. Notice third, we are poised on the world, springing forth in spiritual multiplication around the world. This addresses our commitment to the Great Commission Ministry of Jesus, that of evangelism and discipleship, both locally and globally, among all nations. And finally, it says that our movement must be inclusive of all people, regardless of ethnic group, geography, or national origin. We are an outpost of heaven. One writes, A healthy denomination ultimately gives us strength. It's a home, not a prison. It allows us to share specific theological convictions, practice expressions of ministry relevant to our communities, and serve a common mission in the one thing that brings true unity, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen.